G'day and welcome to Partakers and back to our series Ha Ha! Heroes and Heretics Abound. Together we are looking at the story of the Church from its origins through to the Age of Reasoning in the 18th century. Last time we looked at the expansion of the early Church in spite of the endemic and constant persecution by the Roman Empire. They were the enemy from outside the Church. But there was also another enemy lurking, indeed two main enemies, and they were from within the church. The first enemy was disorganisation and chaos within leadership and structure of churches. If there was no organisation, then chaos would rule supreme, and it did. That was partly why during this time the Apostle Paul helped form the leadership and organisational structure of the embryonic church. We see from his writings that first century church government consisted of a twofold order of leadership. Firstly, there were the elders or the presbyters. They had a Jewish background referring to the character and spiritual maturity of the leaders. Episcopos is where we get the word bishop from. They had a Greek background referring to the role of elders as overseers or shepherds. And these two words are used interchangeably in the New Testament, in Acts 20, in Titus chapter 1, and Philippians chapter 1. And there were a number of bishops or elders within the early church and in each local church. And then secondly, there were the deacons, the diakonos, the servants and the ministers. Paul refers to them in his letter to Timothy. In the second century, church government followed a three-tier order of leadership. This consisted of one bishop presiding over a group of elders and deacons. This was mainly towards the end of the second century. And the reasons for the development of the episcopate was that there was a chairman of the elders, they had church organisations similar to Roman government, they had local church representatives, and at least one bishop could trace his authority back to the apostles. That was important for reasons we will come to shortly. There was also relationships between the churches. For the first three centuries, each local church was largely autonomous and linked in fellowship with other churches without a formal structure. And bishops occasionally met for discussion on matters of doctrine and practice. Then in the early 2nd century, apostolic succession came to the fore in order to prevent division and false doctrine entering the church. Each bishop then could trace his teaching back to apostolic origins, back to the first disciples of Jesus. Despite the formulation of apostolic succession, however, within all this disorganization and chaos, several false and heresies were becoming a threat. Here are the five main heresies of the time which were creeping into the theology and practice of the church. First of all, there was Gnosticism. This was the big one. Gnosis simply means knowledge. The Gnostics stressed the intellectual side of Christianity and they believed the earth was surrounded by 30 spiritual spheres, each with its own God. The God God, as it were, 
was on the outer sphere, and he, or it, was totally unknowable, self-existent, infinitely remote, and on the inner sphere was the bad creator. And the gods in each sphere grew more evil as they approached the earth. Therefore, the bad creator was on the inner sphere. They also taught, the Gnostics did, that the Old Testament God was evil. They also suggested Jesus Christ came to liberate the divine spark in each one of us who are human. Since they believed that the physical, as in the body, was evil, they lived an austere and ascetic lifestyle. They believed that this knowledge was only available to the spiritually elite. And there are three levels of Gnostics. There was the pneumatic or the spiritual, the divine or superior people. Then there was the psychic, those who cannot get beyond faith. These were the prophet and the good Jews. Then there was the hylic, the majority of the human race. They were under hopeless bondage to Satan and their own lusts and desires. So that's the Gnostics. And then there was the Docetists. And Docetism's philosophy and theology taught that the physical world, the body, was inherently evil. Therefore, Jesus Christ being God could not have taken on real human form. As a result, Jesus Christ was therefore an illusion or phantom. However, Genesis 1 teaches us that the physical creation was very good. These people also, as you may have guessed, denied Jesus' full humanity. And then we come to Montanism, and they stressed the spiritual and inspirational side of Christianity. In response to formality in the church, they strongly promoted the more excitable gifts of the Spirit, including prophecy, tongues, and religious excitement. Montanus, their leader, claimed to be the mouthpiece of the Holy Spirit. And they were probably more fanatical than heretical, but they were quickly excommunicated from the wider church. Montanus was in Phrygia, in Asia Minor in 172 AD, and they also taught against celibacy. Fourthly, we have Marcion. In the second century, Marcion taught that the Old Testament was the product of an evil god, and eliminated the Old Testament and New Testament references to the Old Testament with a Judaistic influence. This encouraged, however, the early Christians to examine the scriptures and find out what really was the word of God. Therefore, they would have been able to counter what Marcion was teaching. And then lastly, we have the notation schism. Some Christians denied the Lord under severe persecution by Decius in 251 AD, but they later repented and the church split over whether to accept these Christians back into fellowship or not. This division lasted until the 6th century. In one form or another, these heresies are still prevalent today, even within the church, and they are particularly within all the cults. Just look at the teachings of Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormonism. Do you see the similarity between Joseph Smith and Montanus, for example? He claimed to be the spokesperson of the Holy Spirit as well, remember, and the only one. That is one reason we should be looking at church history so that we don't make similar mistakes in both our theology and practice.
how will this young church continue to go forward? Well, for the answer to that, you'll have to wait until next Saturday for the next in our series, Aha. Thanks for listening. Come back to Partakers, where every day there is something new to encourage your walk as a Christian in the 21st century. See you later.